0: Tennessee 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 Lord, I really been
1: real stressed. This is Holly McCall with the Tennessee Holler. I'm here today with journalist Holly Corby. She's an education writer and she's got a new book that's coming out on Monday, I believe. So Holly, thank you for joining us today and tell us a little bit about yourself.
0: Your background, and what prompted you to write this book. Sure, thank you for having me Holly. I'm an education journalist and I've been writing about schools for uh, about 10 years now and um, I don't really focus so much on the politics and policy side, I really focus on the teaching and learning. There are two things that happened that really spurred me to look into the topic of civics education and one is that um, after the 2016 election, so because I write about teaching and learning I know a lot of teachers, and after the election happened, um, they all started reaching out to me and saying, hey, um, you know, all of those um, anti-democratic, uncivil polarizing behaviors that adults were participating in during the presidential election. Well, that's happening at school too among students. And, and they were really alarmed um, about it. So when I started looking into it, I discovered reason number two, which was a piece of information that I did not know. And that's that civics education was the original mission of the American public schools and that the founding fathers had believed that if we don't teach everyday Americans about how the government functions and the reason why to participate, then it just won't work. And so as I started looking into it, um, over the last 50 or 60 years, um, schools have a lot of competing priorities. And because of um, the pressure to achieve in math and reading and a lot of um, state sponsorship of of STEM education, civics had just fallen off the map completely. Like schools are spending no time on civics education. So as I started looking into it, as civics education declined, you know, these anti-democratic sentiments and these um, polarizing behaviors kind of inclined. And so that got me really interested in like what's happening in schools right now let's go in and find out um is civics education being taught and and what's happening
1: Hmm. so i'm gonna ask did you have civics class when you were in school no no did you i did now i'm probably a bit older than you i'm 55 but i'll tell you it was um maybe a semester and i remember very little about it so i i Come from a politically engaged family, and probably learned much more about civics and politics from my family than I did from a class that had right. a third-string football coach teaching it. It was not a priority. <laughs> right, right, right. So the name of your book is "Building Better Citizens," and in the introduction, you specifically reference uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, the shooting at the high school there in Parkland, Florida. Mm-hmm. And after that happened, there were some a group of student activists who became very nationally known, very vocal, uh, David Hogg and Emma Gonzalez. And I believe you said that they had been part of a pilot program in Florida to teach civics. Tell us a little bit about that and how you think that really affected and impacted their, their vision.
0: Yeah, this is really interesting. So um, in 2011, I think, or 2012, The state of Florida decided to beef up its civics requirements and they passed a statewide law that every single middle schooler in Florida would need to take a year long civics course. And at the end of the course, they would have to take a test and pass it. Mm. So so what happened after Parkland is so many adults were saying like, what, where did these kids come from? You know, like um, not only did they speak so succinctly about the issue of gun violence, Um, They also organized themselves really quickly. How did they do that? Well, when I did research, and I write about this in the book, is that um, Emma Gonzalez and David Hogg were in the very first middle school class of that year-long civics course after the law was passed.
1: Hmm. Uh, I'm going to take a little bit of a pivot now because there are so many issues. We could talk for an hour, but I'm going to try to keep it to 30 minutes. You know, there's an issue that I think ties into civics, and that's voting. And in Tennessee, particularly, we talk a lot. I think we're probably, we're 49th or 50th in the oh, yeah. state in voting. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there are several issues behind it, but how do you think civics education affects people's voting patterns? Um, I've skimmed your book. I haven't been able to read all of it yet, but now I'm intrigued enough to finish it. Uh, so I don't know if you addressed it in the book, but I would like your thoughts because I'm sure it's something that you've thought about.
0: It is. And, uh, you know, um, one thing that a good civics education does for young people is it not only teaches the mechanics of government, the what of what our government is and how it functions, but also the why it's important to participate. So um, as far as low voter turnout goes, we don't have a lot of research that shows why people don't show up to the polls, but Mm -hmm. we do have a lot of research on correlations with people who do show up. So high voter turnout. And so there are a few big things that we know. And number one is that um, voter engagement is highly correlated with um, high levels of education. And and so one thing that I think really stands out to me is we know that one in three Tennessee children do not read at their grade level. Mm -hmm. So at the very most basic, this is a problem of education, is that the more education you have, the more likely you are to realize it's important to be involved. Um, Another one that we know is highly correlated is that an adult models behaviors for young people, uh, models civic behaviors. So uh, parents are are wonderful at this, that they can take their kids to the polls with them and show them how they vote. They can take Mm -hmm. them with them to volunteer, but any adult can be that role model for kids. It doesn't necessarily have to be a parent. And I would say that the other thing that is just so highly correlated with showing up uh, to the polls is civics education. And let me, I'll give you a perfect example of how it works. Um, In 2018, we had the highest youth voter turnout in in this country that we've seen in 25 years. And so why did that happen? That's Mm -hmm. because adults, teachers and parents and kids were getting the message from everywhere. They were educated about why it's important to show up and they showed up.
1: Hmm. Um, so you started on this book in 2017. Yeah. Is that when you started on it? Yeah. How did you conduct your research and did you, did you travel? Did you talk to people all over the country? Did you focus in certain areas? I'm kind of interested in your methodology.
0: Yeah. Um, so I didn't get to travel a whole lot for this book because there just wasn't the finances behind it, but I did talk to teachers all over the country and I did get to visit a lot of classrooms. Um, who are doing innovative things right here in nashville oh huh. um so i did i spent hours and hours on the phone one of the most fun and exciting things i did is that i interviewed more than 50 teen activists because oh, that I really- sounds
1: fantastic
0: oh it was so fun and i even got to attend a protest with a group of teenagers from evansville indiana which is my hometown Mm -hmm. And I followed them downtown to this protest and I write about it in the book. And it actually, it still gives me chills because um, their idealism for the future is contagious.
1: That's wonderful. Um, You know, we've got so many issues I think in America today that would or could be affected by uh, better education and more attention paid to civic life. One of those, and I think this will probably strike home with you as a journalist is this concept of fake news Mm -hmm. and you know, we do know that there are some media outlets that provide disinformation, but too often it's become uh, it's become something where if a politician sees a story about them that they don't like or that's negative, they immediately discredit it by fake news. And unfortunately, and, and I'm a former reporter as well, unfortunately, I see far too many people accepting that well-known traditional media outlets might be fake news. What can we do? What would you suggest we do to counter this?
0: Yeah, so um, this is actually a, a, a massive problem. Um, fake news and inaccurate information and being able to tell the difference is one of the biggest problems facing young people today. And um, the, most, the most recent research shows that 80% of middle schoolers cannot tell the difference um, between an accurate website or article and an inaccurate one. And here's the scary part. The numbers are kind of similar for grownups as well. Well, I'm
1: sure it's not just young people either. I think there are plenty of adults who can't tell
0: the difference. Absolutely. I mean, you only spend two minutes on your Facebook feed, and and you know that that's the case. Um, so researchers are scrambling to try to figure out this problem. And there's an educational researcher who I write about in the book. His name is Sam Weinberg at Stanford. And he's, he's the one who conducted that middle school research. And he basically said something to me to the effect of, if we don't figure this out, we are going to take democracy down. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, you know, I'm I'm trying to, the the blanket term for how to educate kids about this is called media literacy. But here's the big problem with media literacy is that we don't know what works. This issue is so new that schools are trying curriculums that haven't been backed up by any evidence and they're kind of throwing spaghetti at the wall, hoping Mm -hmm. something will stick. So Weinberg and his team, and I write about this in detail because they're trying to figure out how to give kids basically the equivalent of a digital driver's license where the kids take a course and learn the rules of the road of the internet, which is based on, and you'll love this as two journalists, um, we can appreciate this. They're going to teach them how to be fact checkers. So they have found that the one thing that works is to teach them how to be like a New Yorker fact checker. Hmm. That
1: sounds fascinating.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. And, you know, the thing that is the real problem that he said and other experts told me is that fake news leads to a problem that's called truth decay. And that Hmm. is what they're really worried about, is that when so much information and disinformation are coming at you, what you tend to do is believe that nothing is true.
1: That's sad. Um, you know, it's interesting yeah. to me, I used to be able to provide the New York Times, the Washington Post is a source, almost like a fact checker. And we're in an era now where I can provide that to someone and, and they don't believe that. And I think that might be part of what you're talking about with truth decay. No one knows or people don't know who to believe.
0: Right, and education can just play a key role in that. And, you know, one of the best educational tools that research has found is um, learning debate skills. Because when, you, when kids do debate, they have to represent all sides of the issues. Mm-hmm. And those issues have to be backed up with evidence. Mm-hmm. And so teaching young people how um, people find evidence for things and to use that to support arguments that they may not necessarily agree with, researchers are on track to think that that might help um, cure part of this problem.
1: What are your thoughts on uh, civility? This is a term that I feel like we hear every day. Uh, I know the Tennessean has a civility project that I believe you were speaking Monday night as part of that program. Um, Can civics help with that, or are we in an era that's been defined by, well, frankly, the president, uh, when the president is swearing on Twitter every day, is there a way that we can get back to having civil discourse with people who don't agree with us.
0: Right. I mean, that's the, you have asked the million dollar question. (laughs) It has the horse left the barn. Um, so I, education plays a key role in, in, in trying to, to bring back civility and to decrease the polarization that has caused the, the two sides to really hate each other. Um, And again, I I have to bring up debate. There is a lot of research that shows that when young people learn how to debate issues and that they learn about evidence that they are more understanding of uh, opposing points of view. Um,
1: When you were writing the book, what what were the big surprises that you found? Was there anything that jumped out at you that was very shocking?
0: Um, I have to say that the um, civics education being the original mission, the reason that the public schools were created is probably my biggest aha moment that Mm -hmm. I would been writing about schools for almost a decade. And I didn't know that. Um,
1: I've never heard that either.
0: Yeah. So when the founders and, and Horace Mann and all the people who started the first public schools and there's this great quote where Horace Mann or somebody says something to the effect of, look, we don't need intellectuals. This is a democracy. What the schools need to do is teach people how the government works. And um, and ever since I discovered that, I think about that every day. That was my thought as I researched and wrote the book is that we have gone so far from our original mission and it shows.
1: Mm. I feel like there are many rabbit holes that we could go down here <laughs> to talk about charter schools, but we won't go down. That's a completely separate topic. So we won't go down that hole. Now tell us what you're doing Monday. You've got an event Monday night.
0: Yes, so um, Monday night at 6.30 PM, at the Unitarian Universalist Church in Nashville. I am going to hold a community discussion about the urgent need for more and better civics education. And I've got some really great guests who are going to join me. David Plazas from the Tennessean uh, Project Civility, as you mentioned, he's going to be there and also Amanda Smithfield, who is in charge of Project Civ America at Hume Fogg mm-hmm. High School. So she's gonna mm-hmm. talk about her really innovative civics education she's doing over there. And we're even gonna have a couple of teens talk to us about what it's like to be um, in this political moment. And that's the-
1: fantastic. I have to say it's, it's the last year of the baby boom. I love this millennial generation. I love these folks in their late teens and early 20s because I see an activism that I have not really seen in my life. They remind me of the young people of the Vietnam era. I came of age in the Reagan era, and you you know, thought that if you majored in business and wore Navy blazer that you would get handed a BMW when you got out of college. So I... I really love that you've got some of them participating. Now I'm gonna ask for recommendations. So you've talked about what teachers can do, but I'd also like to know like, what can the average person do to help advance civics education? What can I do? What can our viewers do?
0: Well, you know, um, a lot of that I include in the book. And at the end of each chapter, I, I include not only what teachers can do, but also what parents can do to help. And so there are a couple of key things that parents or adults or, or you know that can do right now to help um, put civics education back in schools and and one of the most important ones and that I mentioned earlier is modeling good civic behavior for young people whenever you get a chance and this doesn't just happen at the at the voting booth you know you mentioned incivility um, online uh, you know earlier mm-hmm. that this is this happens with you at at Kroger and this happens with you, what, what, no matter what you're doing, you have an opportunity to model the kind of Americanness, the all togetherness that we so need to fix our democracy. Um, another thing that uh, adults can do is talk about current events at home with your young people or young people who you know, because young people who know more about current events are more likely to get involved. Do,
1: do you have kids?
0: I have three boys. And do you do this with them? We do every night. My oldest is president of the youth and government chapter at his high school. And we talk. Oh, that's
1: great. That's great. You're walking the walk. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I've got to ask, this is your chance to give a plug. Where can we buy your book?
0: Yeah, you can buy my book anywhere online. Um, Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble, IndieBound, Kobo, whatever your favorite online uh, bookstore is.
1: So that's again, that's Building Better Citizens, correct, by Holly Corby.
0: Just a couple of things before we wrap up.
1: Do we have any hope that public schools will actually reinstitute civics as a curriculum? Or is that a pipe dream?
0: Well, you know, um, I I would say that there are definitely states that are making big steps right now. And so I I have a lot of hope. There's kind of like a, a top down movement happening, and then there's this grassroots movement happening too. So, Massachusetts just passed this kind of amazing law which is going to do this 21st century style civics that i write about in the book and they're kind of going to stretch it across the curriculum
1: which is exactly
0: what experts recommend so i do see movement but are we there right now we are so far from that right now um Mm -hmm. i have a lot of hope
1: i keep thinking of things to ask are we (laughs) different from europe does you do you know if europe European countries provide civics education?
0: You know, I don't know a lot about Europe, but what I do know is that among um, Western democracies that we have the absolute lowest voter rate. So I I don't Mm -hmm. know about what they do for civics education.
1: Well, I find this fascinating and I now want to drink coffee with you and talk about this more. And now I'm probably gonna go down some rabbit holes myself and start doing research. But uh, before before we log out today, what else would you like to share with people is there anything you want people to know about you any other suggestions or any other fascinating bits of information um, that you'd like people to know before they come to your book launch monday
0: well you know i think that i'm a i'm generation x myself and we've been having kind of this generational conversation online you know recently and i grew up not caring one bit about what happened in politics i was much more interested in following you two around the country you know <laughs>
1: That's Um, a worthy cause.
0: (laughs) Um, But, you know, I have this research has has wakened something in me and I have gotten involved in my kids PTO. I, I I go to the PAC meetings to find out about the budget because I realize how important it is to be involved and that these decisions get made without you if you're not there and your voice isn't heard and and after doing all this research, I realized that I, I had to be a part of that.
1: I, I love that you've done this, and I really appreciate that you joined the Tennessee Holler today. Um, you may or may not know we launched earlier this year because we felt like there needed to be uh, more different local media outlets. And so I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule for us. And viewers, we appreciate you joining us and again. If you would like to meet Holly in person, she's going to be speaking 6.30 p.m., Monday the 18th, at the Unitarian Universalist Church. And I believe that's on Woodmont Boulevard in Nashville, correct?
0: Yes. And you can
1: pick up your copy, and I bet you can talk her into signing it for you. Again, it's Building Better Citizens. I'm going to finish reading it, and thank you very much.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much for having me, Holly. No,
1: it was great. I loved it. I really, like, let's get coffee.
0: Yeah, okay, let's do it. Tennis.